I'm Ben Forrid. I'm Polly Gill. And I'm Alyssa Mendel. And this is Chordscast. Created by the team at the Coordination of Rare Diseases at Sanford, or CORDS for short, which is a rare disease registry working to tie together patients and researchers, no matter their condition and no matter where they are in the world. In these episodes, you'll hear interviews with scientists, physicians, rare disease patients, and advocates, along with updates on our registry and ways that you can get involved. Let's get started. I'm Alyssa Mendel, and I have Polly Gill joining me today from the Chords team. And we're going to talk to a really special guest today named Richard Howe. He is part of the Transient Global Amnesia Project, and he's going to share with us quite some interesting facts on TGA, which is short for Transient Global Amnesia. So tune in and find out more about TGA. So Richard, if you could just kind of give us a quick start or a just an introduction to who you are and also what is your connection to the rare disease community? Well, I'm from upstate New York, a father of four, was working full time. My wife sitting next to me is Anthony. She was a teacher at school. We were about as normal and healthy as you could be in our late 50s. And then all of a sudden, I forgot everything. So my connection to the rare disease community came about because my disease is more of a syndrome of a heterogeneous clinical nature that can only be diagnosed by exclusion. That usually means a trip to the ER by ambulance with stroke protocols being followed. And at the ER, the triage personnel will continue the assessment as a possible stroke. The attending family will describe the patient as acting bizarre with very little memory, but perfectly healthy and normal right up to the first seconds of the event. An IV may be started, oxygen may be given by nasal or cannula. The attending family will be very distressed and extremely scared. The patient, most likely, will ask the same three or four questions in a monotone voice with no facial expression every three to five minutes for up to 24 hours. DR staff will check for head injuries, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, blurring of words, high blood pressure, etc. They'll do blood draws, MRI, CAT scans, continue your oxygen and IV. However, the results all come back normal. But the family by now is going to be more distressed and very, very scared. The patient only keeps asking the same three or four questions that they're a broken record with no idea of what is wrong why they're at the hospital or needing medical care. Hours in the ER visit, the patient will still be asking the same questions, not remembering anything from the past few days, weeks, months, or maybe years. And that's part of why I'm reading that off of the script, because my short-term memory still to this day, four years later, is still very poor. Wow, that sounds just crazy to me. You had mentioned that when this happened to you, you said you just forgot things. Can you explain what you mean by that? So an, an incident happened to you and you just couldn't recall anything after that? 
I had my first and only incident, so I'm a one-timer, as we call it, with a pure transient global amnesia episode, which meant I followed the criteria established in 1990 by Dr. Hodges. I went basically completely blank for 27 hours. Wow. I did revert back to 1974, so I went from 2013 to 1974, basically in the snap of the fingers, and depended on my Marine Corps training as far as name, rank, serial number, who the President of the United States was, because that's part of a neurological question when they ask you who the President is, what day of the week. I said, Richard M. Nixon, I'm a corporal in the USMC. Oh. And fortunately, my wife was my attending family member that went in the ambulance with us. And I did know her because we were a dating couple back in 74. But now we've been married 39 years, and she knew instantly something was not mm -hmm. right. Wow, yeah. So is there a difference between amnesia and transient am global amnesia? Is there a difference between that? Well, most people think of amnesia as, you know, follow the watch that the magician up on stage is doing and trying to hypnotize you and kind of making you do goofy things and such. But in our case, with this transient global amnesia, they don't know why it happens quite yet. There are several theories. Okay. They refer to it as a neurological enigma. And basically, every three to five minutes, I had to ask the same four or five questions. And the amazing thing about that is all the people in our community that now we have established basically ask the same three or four questions every three to five minutes. But theirs might be four hours long. They might be 24 hours long. We all have a little bit of variance in there. But the lack of memory right at the time of the episode is just about basically clear, except you know who you are. You know some of your family members if you had past memories of them. But anything anybody tells you three minutes ago is completely gone within seconds. Wow, that is so crazy to me. So it sounds like this episode that you had is kind of what propelled you into wanting more information about this condition, which you then became an advocate for TGA. So can you tell me a little bit about your foundation what started out is my level of depression and trying to continue working. I was one of the few that have a more uh, varied version of this pure transit global amnesia in that I had a lot of depression and anxiety over the new me that I felt that I become that you really can't measure. And I went online two years into my path post-episode, and I was finding things on the internet and Facebook chat groups, but nothing was really helping me as a patient because I couldn't remember where things were on the internet. I wouldn't remember where I linked into something. There was no specific website. There's Mayo Clinic and a few other medical sites that have information. But it was always of the medical neurological nature, never from really a patient's perspective. Facebook chat rooms are good from a patient's perspective, but they can't offer advice. They can't do anything but basically chit chat. 
so I decided to come up with a PGA clubhouse because this was a club that nobody wanted to belong to. Oh, That's interesting. And then it's grown since then, and now there's 761 PGA members in 21 countries. And Richard, this is Polly. I just have a question here. Are there different events that might trigger an episode, maybe stress, different things like that? There are some theories out there. One of the predominant ones would be in your carotid would be a venous blood flow package type thing where it goes up into your hippocampus and you're sort of flooded with blood for a little bit. That's one theory. Another is migraines. Another theory is immersion in cold water and stress-related as in a family member that just recently died or some real bad financial news. And then I have to say there's about 50% of us or so it's a sexual intercourse might be the trigger because we don't have any of the other issues. And how was your home life after you had a TGA episode? For me, certainly because of the mild cognitive impairment and short-term memory loss, I spent a lot of the day redoing things more so than normal. So when this first happened, they sent me to Rochester, New York for pre-Alzheimer's testing. But I've got all my past memories as far as most of them go through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. I'm a little bit vague in the last 10 years or so. Whereas I'm also very poor on the short memory tests that the mm-hmm. psychological psychiatrists and psychological people have given. Sounds like there's a lot of variety there. Richard, this is Alyssa again. And what advice do you give patients who receive a diagnosis of TGA? After the initial shock as a patient that you've gone blank for anywhere from hours to days, then you start realizing, okay, I'm lucky. It wasn't a stroke. I'm lucky. It's not Alzheimer's. I'm lucky. It's not some form of cancer. There's no tumor in my brain. And then you start going into a phase of humorous that most everything's funny to you as a patient. Your, your family kind of gets tired of your, your humor because you just can't wrap your own head around it because you don't remember none of it. Everything is what people tell you as recollections or what you've read in the medical report. And then after you get through the kind of humorous part, because nobody else thinks it's humorous, you go into a phase of, I don't want to talk about it, because it sounds like you may have had a mental breakdown. And then after that, you kind of go into this research phase where you really start dwelling into how can something so bizarre, simple, with no indication it was coming on, affect you so much. And then you look at your family members, and then you start realizing that this affects them too. Not, again, in the way of cancer, death pending, or a child dying from a birth defect or something like that, but it's just, you're just not the same old person, you're new you. Find yourself a really good neurologist who is willing to listen and delve into all the other physical things that could have caused this. So you want to rule out, you know, the high blood pressure. You want to rule out the stroke. You want to rule out the tumor. You want to rule that stuff out because your mind 
tends to go, well, what if? What if it's this? What if it's that? What if it's this? So a good medical team is, is very important. That being said, if you are going to several medical appointments and they're um, asking the TGA patient what happened or how do they feel, sometimes they don't know. So it's always a good idea to take someone with you. And it's a good idea to take notes. Um, in the medical field, doctors are very busy and often they rattle through this stuff and you find yourself later going, I really don't know what that doctor said. So write the questions down. Get a notebook get a, or a three-ring binder and divide it. A lot of people use their smartphones. Whatever. Whatever filing system you can use, utilize it. Um, write the questions that you have for the next appointment. Keep track of your medical reports. Request the results of the medical test. You have to request those, and sometimes you have to be a little bit um, assertive, if you will. And we always get a printout after the um, visit with a, whatever medical provider. And keep those handy because doctors are busy. They have lots and lots of patients, and you are not always their utmost priority at that time. Whereas our family, and he is our first priority. So we can go back and reference those notes. We can reference those lab reports and we can say to the doctor at the next visit, we see a pattern here in whatever. Um, so you can have a succinct conversation and utilize their time and your time far more efficiently. And don't be afraid or hesitant to, to talk to other people who have had TGAs. And you'll find that they're all different. While they are all the same with the same similar questions, the way they approach it and the way they handle it after the um, event is different. And the fact that it's different sometimes is comforting, sometimes is not. Uh, another piece of advice would be to beware of people or organizations that say they have all the answers because they don't. Um, and you just have to sort it out. Research. Go on the go on the internet. Research the studies. Yeah, it sounds like there is some good research out there already, and some good literature out there in regards to TGA. I also am kind of hearing that there could be some more education to the medical professionals. And I know one thing, Richard, that you worked really hard on with Polly Gill was creating a TGA questionnaire with the CORDS registry where people who have TGA can go in and complete this questionnaire. And that questionnaire will then help researchers and the medical community to better understand about TGA. Yes, and we found setting that up as a patient was very difficult because, like my wife just said, we are not medical professionals, but we still have to follow HIPAA guidelines. In the European version of HIPAA, we still have to consider privacy, internet security, and people's personal data. So it was trying to ask questions that were very specific to a person's TGA event and that their family could add into that information, but yet at the same time follow the protocols of both Stanford University or Stanford Health 
and the National Organization of Rare Diseases, who's been our mentor as we've done this grassroots program and found out that there's, there's guidance out there, but we're behind everybody else, so to speak. Like I always refer to the you know American Heart Association or something. They've been around for years. They've got thousands of members. Everybody knows who they are. We're not dying from PCA. Our problem is you every day worry about, am I going to forget that I'm babysitting my grandchild? Are you going to go to the store and forget how to get home? Because you've had that incident. And it catches you off guard sometimes with that little bit of fear and worry. And then if you're a professional, you wouldn't want to be a surgeon and have one of these because uh, I don't know if they're going to let you be a surgeon or other professions. So it's also sort of kind of kept a little bit quiet. Yeah, and Richard, this is Polly. And if participants wanted to go to your website, what's the website they should go to to get more information about TGA? Because we are a grassroots organization, which means everything we do is free. We don't charge any dues. So we don't have any money. So, and I'm not thinking of uh, plea for money, but our website goes through Wix.com. So it's a little bit longer website address than usual. So it goes under the www.tgaproject2020.wix, W-I-X, site. Awesome. Okay, that's good information. And one thing I also wanted to add in that you mentioned to me that the survivor host, um, Jeff Prost, Prost, doesn't he have TGA as well? We did come across an article in this past February that he had an episode. He is the first well-known person that's come forth saying they had one of these bizarre neurological enigmas called transcendental Yeah, I remember. I thought that was so interesting. Um, is there anything else you want the audience to know or extra information you'd like them to, to know? We're just plugging along, just being normal people, trying to deal with the normal problems of middle age, because that's another interesting phenomenon with it. Generally speaking, it doesn't happen until you're in your late 50s and your 60s. Those few triggering events are not proven. Obviously, if mine was of sexual nature, there's been a lot of people that have sex, but they've never had a DTA. There's been a lot of people that get into a shower and that immersion in cold water, and they've never had a DTA. And there's a lot of people that have had migraines, and they've never had a DTA. So that's what makes it so neurologically an enigma. They've got no idea yet. Thanks again, Richard, for taking time to talk with us, and thank you for the listeners for tuning in for another episode of Cordscast. so much for listening. The theme music for Chordscast is borrowed with permission from Scott Holmes's song, So Happy. To learn more about Sanford Research and our registry chords, visit us at sanfordresearch.org chords. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, comments, stories, or feedback to chords at sanfordhealth.org. Find us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at Sanford Chords. The content of Cordscast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. We'll see you next time on Cordscast.